this wonderful passage that we're studying. Thank you for your word. I pray that it will impact our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little silver-haired lady calls her neighbor and says, please come over and help me. I have a killer jigsaw puzzle, and I can't figure out how to get started. Her neighbor asked, well, what's it supposed to be when it's finished? And she said, well, it's supposed to be a rooster, according to the picture. <clears throat> her neighbor decides to go over and help with the puzzle, and let's uh, she lets him in and shows him uh, where she has the puzzle spread out all over the table. He studies the pieces for a moment and looks at the box and turns to her and says, first of all, no matter what we do, we're not going to be able to assemble these pictures to, into anything resembling a rooster. And he takes her hand and says, secondly, I want you to relax. Let's have a nice cup of tea and then let's put all the cornflakes back in the box. <clears throat> <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Anyways, last time we met, we learned the story of Rahab hiding the spies from Israel. So what's happened as she has waited in her home with a scarlet cord hanging out her window? What's been going on between that time and when the walls of Jericho are going to come tumbling down? And that's our study today, the preparation for the crossing of the Jordan River. <clears throat> then Joshua rose early in the morning he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim. Notice I said that in a G pronunciation. <clears throat> I don't know how you say it, but anyways, and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and, its dis and it a distance of 2,000 cubit by measure. Do not go near it, <clears throat> that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So, soon after the spies had returned to the east side of the Jordan and reported to Joshua the events that happened, uh, they sent officers then among the people to prepare them for the great moment that they would cross the River Jordan. The flooded Jordan River stood between or before the nation of Israel, but Joshua had great faith in God and his ability to move this mass of people safely across. <clears throat> Joshua ordered the immediate preparation for crossing the Jordan, which would lead them to the invading the land promised to them. He didn't know how this vast group of people were going to exactly go across this incredibly swollen, torrent, raging river. But he believed that God would make a way possible. So he moved the entire nation, along with all of their possessions, seven miles from Shittim to the edge of the Jordan River. And here they camped for three days. So in the spring, the normally narrow river becomes very flooded. and can get very, very deep, and it can be as wide as a mile. <clears throat> the officers went through the camp then, commanding people to follow the Ark of the Covenant that the priests would be carrying. And they were told to keep about 3,000 feet away in order, he says, so that you'll know the way by which you shall go. The ark was the sign of God's presence. It's mentioned at least 17 times in these two chapters. The ark is a reminder that Yahweh himself is leading the people into the promised land of Canaan. It is he who would cut off the flooding waters and hold them back. With the ark being held a distance away from the people crossing, it enabled the people then to see where to go as well as to witness this amazing miracle of the, walls, of the water standing up just like a wall. 
Had they been following behind the priest directly, the masses of people could not have seen all that was happening. So the people were to consecrate themselves before they crossed. And Joshua said, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So consecration means to be set apart and required the people to be prepared spiritually for the miracle that they were going to witness. This was a common call from the Lord to Israel. Purify your hearts, turn your hearts, trust the Lord in obedience to him. It was critical that Israel recognize that what happens is the work of Yahweh and they were to be prepared and expectant for what he was about to do. God wanted his people rightly prepared uh, so that they would appreciate it and recognize his power. And I wonder how often we fail to prepare ourselves, even for something as simple as public worship or doing a service for him, having our hearts consecrated. Next, Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Just as the Lord had led the previous generation out of Egypt by the cloud of uh, a cloud and a pillar of fire at night, so now he was leading this generation, only it was through the, his presence in the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 7, God declares to Joshua that on this particular day, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So the miraculous crossing that's about to take place would be an incredible sign to the nation that God was with Joshua as their leader and God was going before them. The priests were told to stand in the water, the edge of the Jordan. They were to stay there until the Ark, and they were given further instructions. The priests had to get their feet wet before God opened up the waters. Then they also had to stand in the middle of the riverbed until everyone had passed through the Jordan and got to the other side. So Joshua then speaks to the people in verse 9, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and he will assuredly dispossess from him, from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, and the Perizzite. He goes on to say, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the twelve tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord uh, the Lord of all the earth rests on the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So with these words, Joshua, uh, they were designed to encourage the people, to remind them how great their God was, who was leading them, who would lead them into the battles to come. He is the Lord of all the earth. The people were told to select a man from each of the 12 tribes, though at this point they weren't told why. That's in chapter 4. We'll see. Then Joshua explained to the people how the miracle of the Jordan crossing would happen. The moment the feet of the priest touched the water, the river would stand up like a wall, just like what happened uh, in the Red Sea when they came out of Egypt. Moses used a rod to part the sea, but Joshua would part the waters through the ark. The people needed to be reminded that if God could part the waters and bring them all safely to the other side, 
then he will bring victory to the people, a groups that they were about to encounter in Canaan that were just mentioned. The people needed to be reminded of the great power of their God, that he was adequate for whatever situation they may face. This is certainly true for us as well. He is the living God who works and intervenes, who rescues, who counsels his people in the midst of their challenges. He is still and always will be the Lord of all heaven and earth. So the completing of the crossing of the Jordan happens in verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows its banks all the days of harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above rose up in one heap. A great distance from away from Adam, the city that was uh, beside Zerathen, and those who were flowing down from down toward the Sea of the Salt Sea were completely cut off, all of that water. So people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground till the nation had finished crossing. So as was mentioned before, uh, there are close to 2 million people here crossing with all of their possessions and animals. I read that a number of people, more than 2 million, could have marched in a square, a 1,000 across and um, a 1,000 abreast and 2,000 deep, and it would have only taken a short amount of time to cross. The River Jordan would have been this raging torrent of a rushing ridge, uh, river at this point with all the debris and fast-moving water and deep, very, very deep. So God chose to lead Israel through this river at this time of year when it was humanly impossible to cross. He delights to show his power and might in the midst of the impossible. He does this as well in the lives of his children today when we can do nothing to fix or help a difficult situation that is impossible. That is when we see his power and his deliverance. One author put it this way, There is a strangeness about Yahweh's method, and yet there is a method to his ways. Perhaps he brings us into impossible circumstances and situations so bleak and so hopeless for the very purpose of impressing upon us that if we make it through, if we endure it, if we are not overwhelmed and washed away, it will be only because of his grace and power. It is, is this his way of teaching us our own inability, our own helplessness, in order that we will realize that our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, end of quote. And I'm reminded of Isaiah 55, 22, where God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your ways, your thoughts. My ways are way higher. I know what I'm doing. What an amazing miracle happened before the eyes of everybody present that day. All the little kids, up to those who are older. I can't help but wonder if the people of Jericho were able to see the miracle from their high wall, you know, looking out and watching that happen. This great miracle certainly meant different things to different people. God was glorified by this miracle. His people were in awe of him. Joshua was exalted as their leader. The people of Israel were encouraged. But, you know, the Canaanites, they were terrorized. God is in the business, though, of doing the impossible. He is the living God who is more than adequate for every situation we find ourselves in. This same God intervenes, saves, rescues, counsels his own people, 
in the midst of their great needs. Such a great miracle is recorded here as the people cross this flooded river. But it should be no surprise when you think about miracles because the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the power of God that raised him up from the dead to save sinners like us, there isn't a greater miracle that could happen. He is more than adequate for any crisis we face in this life. His timing and his ways may be completely foreign to our thinking, but still he is a loving father who tenderly cares for his own, even in the midst of the impossible. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So all Israel crossed, notice they crossed on dry ground, and the priests were standing out in the middle of the Jordan on dry ground. The miracle wasn't just the waters all standing up on like a wall in a heap. It was also that there was no mud. I mean, no animals were going to get stuck in the water and the mud and the people's feet weren't going to get stuck. God dried out the base of the riverbed at the same time he made the water become a wall. Otherwise, as I said, animals and people would have much, had a much harder time. But God chose to have the people cross at the most difficult time of year, a time when the river floods showing his might in the face of extreme difficulty. A reminder again that we can contribute nothing to our deliverance. That brings us to chapter 4 and the memorial stones from Jordan. And I love, I love this chapter and I love the thought because it's so ac- applicable to each one of us. Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them at the lodging place you will lodge tonight. goes on to say, Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. How often it is that our own forgetfulness becomes the enemy of our faith. Think about that. Our own forgetfulness of God's faithfulness to us in the past causes us to have the enemy of our faith. Just like in a marriage, when people forget the vows they took, when they forget the warm, loving esteem that they had for their spouse, what harm that brings. God did not want this generation to forget all that he had done for them. Teaching children the faithfulness of God is a critical and major parental responsibility. The 12 stones were meant to provide an opportunity to teach the next generation. In 15 years, when families would walk by this large pile of 12 rocks in Gilgal, It would present an opportunity to tell of God's power and faithfulness to deliver his people. Clearly, this sort of miracle was not commonplace, nor was it frequent. So having a witness and a teaching opportunity to speak of God's power is of incredible importance. When you think about it, God has given a similar command to his followers in the church to remember God's kindness every time the church gathers and remembers the Lord's Supper. We forget, and we need to remember what transpired at the cross. We're commanded to do this, that the God of the universe came to earth, took on humanity so that he would grow up 
and die on a cross. All of us are born into this world, as you know, separated from God. Our sin makes it impossible to be in a right relationship with him. And the only way it made possible is through Jesus taking the wrath of God for your selfishness, my selfishness, our cruel words, our angry thoughts and actions, all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of I'm going to live life my way. That's what Jesus bore the wrath for on the cross. And I love the great exchange of 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we would be the righteousness of God. So the great transaction that took place, he gave us his righteousness. He took our sin and bore the wrath of God as sin was paid for. What a thing we need to remember. Well, the people obeyed. In verse 8, we read, Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded. They took up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down from there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day. For the priests who carried the ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried across. And when all the people had finished crossing, the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed before the people. So we read here there are actually two memorials set up. The first was on the land on the other side of the river of Gilgal. And that showed what happened And the second was in the river. It showed where it happened. The priests had positioned themselves in the riverbed while the people hurried across. And once they were all across, the priests then left their station in the middle of the Jordan. But first Joshua had joined the 12 men as they were digging up their 12 big stones to bring over to shore. But Joshua put 12 stones right where the priest had stood This was Joshua's desire to have a reminder of the faithfulness of God at the start of the conquest of the land of promise. We read about Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and 40,000 of their warrior soldiers were crossing alongside their, their brethren and keeping their word to Moses. We read in verse 14 that God exalted Joshua in the sight of all the people. So now the people were convinced and recognized clearly this was God's doing. And this was God's man. They respected Joshua as they had done Moses. As all the people crossed through the Jordan, the priests came up from where they were standing. And as soon as they touched the dry ground, the water all returned to its original location. So the crossing was complete. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern side of Jericho. Those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. This miracle was clearly an act of Almighty God. When the soles of the feet of the priests got on shore, the water all returned to its original location. This was no coincidence. Those who don't believe 
the accuracy of the Bible try to explain this didn't really happen this way. <clears throat> but this was the miracle done by God. And we read in verse 19, this is so interesting, I never realized this before, that the exact time of this event was the 10th day of the first month. It's just the same day, 40 years previously, that Israel had begun to prepare to go out of Egypt when they celebrated the first Passover lamb. What God had started 40 years prior is a promise he kept. By having Israel enter the land on this exact day was a reminder of his faithfulness in delivering them from bondage and now bringing them finally to the promised land. Joshua then explains the memorial stones placed at Gilgal to be the tool to teach children and future generations of what God had done. The crossing of the Red Sea and the Jordan are very important events and miracles, and you read about them throughout the scriptures. The psalmist says in 66.6, he turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There, let us rejoice in him. Psalm 114.3, the sea looked and fled, and the Jordan turned back. So both references to the two different crossings. The memorial was to remind the nations of the world of the great power of God. And as Joshua states that in verse 24, the news of the Lord's great power in bringing Israel to the land would assist them in, con in their conquest of the land because this miracle crushed their enemies' morale. They were in a panic as word spread of the incredible power of the God of Israel who could do what was impossible. The reminders from the memorial stones were to serve as a teaching tool of God and what he has done in history. And as we just saw, it also served the purpose of showing the peoples of the earth the great power of God. So with everyone safely on the other side of the Jordan, what was their first night like? camping out. Certainly there had to be some struggling with fear and uncertainty of what's going to happen next, but when those thoughts came to mind, all they had to do was get up and walk over past those 12 stones and take them out of the Jordan and remind themselves that God had done the impossible for them. They could trust him, therefore, for what lies ahead. So what is our takeaway lessons from this study today? First of all, faith requires action. In our study today, there was organization. There was personal preparation of one's heart, home, and family as they prepared to trust God as he moved them out. Faith requires us to trust God and to believe his word and obey it. We don't sit around doing nothing, waiting for deliverance. We actively obey what the word of God tells us to do and have hearts that are set apart, consecrated for, to him for whatever may come. Secondly, when Joshua confirmed, was confirmed as a leader of the people, it is God who had chosen Joshua for this position of leadership, and he equipped him for the task. So if the Lord gives you a task to do, he will equip you for the task. For instance, if you're a mom raising your children, he is the one who equips you for the unique children he has given you. If you're married, you have the unique way of serving and loving and completing your husband. You're part of a local church. You serve in a ministry there. He equips you to do that task. You're not out there on your own to figure it out. Joshua did exactly what God told him to do in obedience to the word. His word is the key to being equipped to carry out the task that he has for you to do. 
Third, God is an expert in doing the impossible. There's nothing too difficult for him. Most of us know the verse from Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Do you believe that? I mean, we do or we don't. (laughs) We can believe it in theory, but then when trials come, how often we really don't. When facing trials and challenges in this life, do we think that we have to figure it all out? We need to recognize that his great power is one that we can trust. We can trust his plan and trust him to carry it out when we're clueless as to what he is doing. Next, we may not set up a memorial of rocks to help us remember the faithfulness of God to us in our past. However, there are many ways for us to remember his kindness, his goodness, his answers to prayer. That's why it's helpful to journal. It's helpful to write things down because we simply forget the countless times that we have been delivered out of despair and confusion. After working on this, I went back to some old journals. I have journals from the 1980s, the one I was looking at, and what my life was then and what my struggles were then with two little kids and really painful situation in in ministry and life was tough and I just poured out my heart to God in the journal but just seeing his faithfulness and seeing how he answered so long ago and then I jumped a couple decades (laughs) to different struggles kids going to college all those things and you just see God's faithfulness but you know you don't remember if you don't write that down you you will not remember so that's a good way to have a memorial in remembering God's faithfulness. Sometimes there's an object that can help you remember. That's never to be the focus, only the point to point us to the faithfulness of God. I remember at a particular time in financial duress that out of the blue my husband heard from a cousin he hadn't seen since he was a child, and she lived in Switzerland, and she had gone to New York to settle her mom's estate, so it was my husband's aunt, who he hadn't seen since he was a tiny child. And in her estate was a $1,000 savings bond she had set aside for my husband. So she sent that to us. And that was, my husband kept that up on a wall for a long time. Just, he called it Aunt B's blessing. I mean, God from, come, can come in from the most unusual places to provide for us. And uh, that's what he does. But we need to remember it. <laughs> so the next time there's a financial crisis or a trauma, look what he did, how faithful he's been. Why should I doubt him to care for me? And next, we need to speak of the faithfulness and goodness of God to others. If you have children or grandchildren, then we should be telling them about events, like I just mentioned, in our lives that we saw God work in a profound way. They need to hear in your own life experience about God's faithfulness to you and the details of how he provided amazingly in the past. It encourages them, it points them to Jesus, and it serves us to be a good reminder uh, to us as well. So that when new trials and tests come into our lives and we simply forget how he provided in the past, it's helpful to reflect on his faithfulness to answer prayers in the past. And last, even those in this world who have no personal relationship with God Through Jesus Christ, that is the only way one can have a relationship and be in a right way with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
the life. There is no other way to have life until we repent of our sin and trust that Jesus' death was on our behalf so that we could be right with God. And when we do that, we have an opportunity to impact others with our testimony of what we've come to believe. And unbelievers can see God at work in the lives of other people. And he's glorified. So I hope that you'll be encouraged to think about how you can be more diligent to remember God's faithfulness to you and that you'll do something about it. Lord, I thank you for the truths of these two chapters. I thank you for your faithfulness. And though we're not Israel and we're not crossing Jordan to go on a conquest to land promised uh, to us, yet you are the same God. And you have plans for each individual children. And you are the faithful God who walks us through all kinds of challenges in life that are like crossing a raging river. I thank you for your faithfulness. And I pray, Lord, that we would be women who take seriously your word, to obey it, to believe it, to trust you, to actively serve you, to actively remember your faithfulness, Lord. Forgive us for the harm we do to our own faith by just our own forgetfulness. I pray that we would be diligent, Lord, to reflect on your faithfulness and to share that with others, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends, what you have done, how mighty you are. I thank you for the greatest remembrance we can ever remember, and that's what you did for us on the cross when you bore all of the wrath of God that he had to do to clean and deal with sin and not ignore it but to deal with it and have it punished. And you bore all of that punishment. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray that we would live our lives as thankful servants to you. In Jesus' name, amen.